you can't be doing that shit on the mile. You're going to, you're going to hurt somebody or kill somebody. And if you want to continue to ride that way, we'll just go out back, settle it out in the backfield like men. Episode six, Tank Slapping Podcast. Corey Taxter here with Jake Johnson. Jake, How's it going, man? We had a short week this week. We feel like we just did a show, but we're back at it. And uh, we got a really good guest lined up for this week. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like you said, it's uh, well, we had a we had a late recording last week and kind of back on track this week. So, yeah, it was kind of a quick turnaround for us. But, yeah, good guests coming up. Uh, what, the one and only seven-time champ, Chris Carr? Chris Carr. It's a, it's a good one. A lot of fans have suggested we bring – Chris Carr on the show made the call and he said absolutely. So give uh, Chris a call here in a little bit. But I wanted to uh, thank our first sponsor of the show, Mike Hacker with Presidential Mortgage. If you need a home loan, refinance, or home equity line of credit, contact Mike Hacker at mike.hacker at presidential.com. Mike, obviously, as you guys know, is a former racer. And it's really cool to have a racer that's involved in something like this because then you have an in, a contact to um, to get in touch with and know that he's going to have your back when when doing stuff like that. So definitely yeah. give him a, a call. Yeah, yeah. He's done a lot of the, the flat track paddock, uh, some loans, some refis, you know, the last couple of years. So uh, he knows uh, he knows how to get some broke dirt trackers uh, alone. So, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I've obviously I've, I've worked with Mike a lot and been on the road and. The guy works hard, um, you know. So whether whether or not he's uh, he's doing your loan or not, he's going to point you in the right direction. So uh, check him out, and uh, if you do, let him let him know we sent you. Yeah, I mean it's been a short news week, pretty much. Last week we did, you know, we had the winter throwdown. We had a lot of stuff we were covering. This week we have a a couple announcements. The biggest one, I guess, was just announced today, actually this afternoon, and it's Shayna Texter, some girl. I don't know. She's uh, a <laughs> She signs a two-year deal with Red Bull KTM. Uh, news to me, Jake. Uh, I mean, I kind of knew that's what what she was doing, <laughs> but I didn't know exactly the extent of how long it would be or anything else. It's so kinda... you're telling me this wasn't like discussed at Christmas dinner or no? No, nah, we really don't talk about racing hardly. I mean, she, well, I mean, I would bench race a little bit more, but Shayna likes to talk about Disney hunting, <laughs> just stuff <laughs> stuff that's nothing to do with racing, which is kind of nice. I mean. We could sit around and talk about racing all the time, but that's kind of what our life's consumed with. But no, it's good for her. I'm I'm happy for her. I know she thought about maybe signing. Um, well, she was thinking about maybe a production twins deal. Um, you were sweating, weren't you? I was, she was sweating. Dude. I think that's why she didn't she didn't talk much about it. She wanted to keep you sweating. <laughs> think you were coming. She was coming after you. Yeah. Well, good luck. That's why she didn't do it. Um, nah. So back on the 450s, Red Bull KTM. It's I mean, it's a dream come true for a rider to be a factory KTM Red Bull rider. So, yeah, it's a good deal for her. I think she'll obviously do well. And there's a lot of haters on 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 social media today talking about it. And, you know, it's it's good. So good for her. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. I mean, obviously, we see what Shayna does. Right. But this is kind of the first time in a while where she's going to have the same program back to back years. So. I guess she was with Richie Mars for two years and then did the Husky thing and, you know, 
KTM last year. So I think it'll be good for her to kind of have the same program and, yeah. and be able to continue to build on something instead of starting over. So, yeah, I know she's working with Alden Baker to try and get better on the TTs and working with Briar. And honestly, some of the races last year, I thought she would do better at, she kind of struggled with. And then some of the races I thought she would struggle at, she, she actually won or had a good race. So I think her potential um, hasn't been touched really last year. I think she can do a lot better than what she did. And I know it was kind of a disappointing year for her after finishing third in the points two years in a row. I think she was seventh last year. So, yeah, hope she does well, obviously, but it'll be interesting. It's a tough class. It's it's getting tougher every year, and it's not going to be easy, but uh, it yeah. should be good. And the other announcement is her um, – fiance now yeah this is Damn. this is uh bauman texter newsweek isn't yeah, it yeah uh, yeah well briar texter uh soon to be has announced along with bronson and jared that they're joining the indian factory team once wow again. whoa big surprise big news. big news big surprise yeah which uh <laughs> man i think indian they had this obviously planned for a while but i think they were waiting to see what the rules package was going to be before they made a formal announcement yeah. so I don't think they're stoked on the news, uh, but we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah, we'll get later. into that later in the show. So, um, and then one other thing we like to talk about cool. in this show, obviously, we're Supercross fans. We love MotoGP. We love other forms of racing. The biggest news in Supercross this past week was Dylan Fernandez, Christian Craig, the whole 250 Supercross incident. Dylan Fernandez went into the corner and just cleaned out Christian Craig. Jake, what were your thoughts on the whole deal? Yeah, I mean that's what it that's what it appeared like from from the initial uh, first look at it, and I watched it you know a million times. And man, I've seen guys get hit a lot harder um, in Supercross, but I don't know. I mean, you can look at it one way or another. I think it was just the wrong time. Um, he was obviously faster, way faster. Probably could have passed him in the next corner, um, but he kind of you know came off that finish line jump, dove up the inside, and where Craig was, it was kind of a weird berm where you'd kind of go into it and almost kind of jump out of it. And I think when Ferrandis got into him, it was kind of when Craig's wheels were getting light and it just, it looked worse than it probably was. It looked bad. Like yeah. I fell asleep. Um, and I woke up in the middle of the night, checked my phone and checked Twitter to see who won the race. I couldn't find the race winner. I just found all these videos and tweets about Dylan Ferrandis and I like Dylan. I got to meet him at the uh, Yamaha thing uh, about a month ago, and that dude was cool. I knew I liked him because after the ceremonies was was over, you know, everybody's going back to bed, all the riders, and I'm headed back up to my room. And Dylan Fernandez, keep in mind, he had Anaheim one in like two weeks. I walk by the bar, and he's sitting at the bar drinking, <laughs> drinking a couple weeks for Anaheim. So in a lot in a world in motocross where a lot of guys are robots and politically correct, the, the dude was drinking mixed drinks, you know, two weeks for Anaheim. So he seems like a good dude. I think he gets a lot of flack because he's he's a French rider, and uh, they have a history of maybe dirty riding. So yeah, and everyone loves Christian Craig. So yeah, it was a it was a. Gnarly, yeah, gnarly was, looking hit, but yeah, it was one of those deals. It uh, it was obviously ended spectacularly. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like, you know. Well, I hit up Ryan. Should have waited the next corner. I but hit hey. up Sipes, and he agreed. He said, "Man, he was so much faster. He could have waited." He's like, to be fair, you know, it looked like looked like Christian got on the gas real fast to get away from Dylan and jumped the berm, and it sent him. So. Yeah, just uh, just some excitements. Uh, Supercross yeah. has been exciting this year with yeah. the 250 class. A lot of, a lot of incidents, you know. And then, and on top of it, later on in the race, Ferrandez caught 
16-year-old rider, Jet Lawrence, uh, Australian kid, that's badass for a 16-year-old rider to jump into the pro ranks and and go after these guys. And, you know, Fernandez passed him, and as a 16-year-old kid, getting second out of Supercross would, be, would have been huge. And he didn't give a he shit. He wasn't going to settle. No, he didn't give a <laughs> he shit. He was not going to settle. He was not into silver, dude. He was yeah. going for gold, ended up broke his collar. He broke his collarbone, so that was that was a bummer. But, dude, yeah. I— I much respect to that kid for for going for it. I mean, 16 years old, you know, second would have been rad. And he, yeah, I was I was devastated yeah. for the kid. You know, like he, he's had a strong first two rounds. I'm not sure exactly where he finished, but he's been in the hunt. You know, right from the get go. And man, it, like you were just kind of waiting for it, and it happened. You know, he was out front, 16 year old kid, and I I've been there. I've been you know 16 17 years old leading a race and just completely melt down and not saying that's what happened but i mean that it, it's hard to do when you're that young and man he was hanging in there hanging in there he had that crash um but man he got back up and you could tell he was a little flustered he about looped her out a few times but he was he was still going for it and uh you know that last time through the whoops, he tried getting Ferranis back, and I've never seen a nose wheelie so long. Oh, I know. I and, saw the footage. Like I said, I fell asleep. I woke up and saw that video. I was like, "Holy shit!" Yeah. I mean, it sucks <laughs> that his collarbone's broken. But it could have been worse. It could have been worse. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it sucks that he's gonna he's gonna miss quite a few rounds now. And yeah, I mean, that's that's what happens. I mean, you're young kid, and send I mean, it. you Go just send it. it. Yep. You just send it. But this is gonna be one of those life lessons. He's gonna. He's gonna be thankful for, I guess. Uh, later, oh yeah, later it'll make him stronger career. for sure. So yeah, no. So we're Supercross fans. It was, uh, I mean, I guess I'm not a huge fan because I fell asleep, but, um, but I yeah, it was just something to talk about. And our guest for this week, like I like I mentioned, Chris Carr. Um, man, so much to say about Chris Carr. I guess the best thing to do is just get it from the guy himself. We'll just call him up. Yeah, Chris can give uh the other Chris a call. Chris Carter calling Chris Carr. Chris Carter. Man, we're five minutes late. Is he? We're we gonna. Is he gonna miss? Blame dinner? it on me. Be like it's Carter's fault, and he'll make a joke about it. I'm sure. Hello. Chris Carr, Corey Texter here. Jake Johnson. I know you love to hear my voice. Wanted to give you a call and bring you on the podcast. Yeah, waiting for dinner. You calling me now, and I gotta, I gotta eat cold dinner. Oh boy, oh. we're blaming it on Chris Carter. He he told us to he'll take the blame for it uh, for for being late. So yeah, typical flat tracker. It's always somebody else's fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Latin Podcast. Have you listened to any of the shows? What do you think so far? Uh, I think I listened to the first couple when my dad was uh, up here. My dad's a faithful listener, so you got you got at least one listener. That's good. And uh, I listened to a couple of them. So yeah, it's uh, sounds like you guys got something new and fresh that's cool yeah yeah just trying trying something different given uh maybe a different uh different angle different look into the flat track world i guess but a little less uh, politically correct you mean that's what we're trying to do i mean well that's good that's fine right? with me that's what yeah. that's what everybody wants to hear everybody here wants to hear the gossip and the good good shit so uh we'll, we'll try to give it to them but obviously i mean you're you know, for lack of better words, a legend of the sport, right? Seven-time champ, 78 wins, just, uh, you know, been at it a long time. We, we all kind of know the the history of, of Chris Carr, but just kind of kind of fast-forwarding a little bit, you and Kenny Tolbert uh, obviously teamed together for, for a long time. 
how how did you guys ever get teamed up together? Like, where did where, you know? I don't even know. I, I've known Kenny a long time myself, and like, where did Kenny Tolbert come from? And and how did he meet Chris Carr? And how did you guys have so much success? Well, I think the the biggest thing uh, with Kenny first how how we met was. I had been racing for a couple of years. Uh, my first two years with the Harley factory, uh, Mert Lawwell uh, was turning the wrenches in 86 and 87. And uh, I was doing my own singles thing uh, at that time, either with, you know, Ron Wood or, or on my own. And uh, the end of the 80, 87 season, it, it just seemed like there was no improvement. We weren't going forward. Uh, bikes kept breaking. They worked really good early in the year, and uh, seemed like that their performance fell off late in the year. And uh, there was a really big age gap, about I'd say about 25 years between myself and Mert Lawell. And uh, I just I needed uh, I needed somebody different, I think. And uh, I had you know kind of kept my eye on some of the other bikes that were running around the racetrack. And there was one bike that always seemed to run pretty good and uh, was one of those bikes that was uh, at times difficult to pass on in the draft or harder to pass than others. And it was being ridden by Sammy Sweet that year uh, in 86 or 87, one of those years. And, and uh, you know, come to find out that Kenny Tolbert was the one building the engines on it. And, I went to I went to Harley uh, at the time Bob Conway was running the Harley department and and I I asked him if there was a way we could could make a change and uh and I got the blessing from Harley and they uh they reached out to Kenny and and uh you know 1988 was our first year together and uh he he was ready to go ready to move forward and then I also raced against the uh, engines he built by uh, Dwayne Duvall in my junior year when I was on the Ron Wood Rotax, so Dwayne Duvall was riding uh, restricted XRs at the time, and uh, they always ran toward the front, too, so I knew the bikes ran pretty good. Yeah, when you, you know, transitioned from the amateur ranks to the pro ranks, I mean, obviously, you're from California. You rode quite a bit at Lodi growing up, and, you know, I'm sure you traveled to some of the regionals and maybe amateur nationals and things like that. How was the transition? It seems like forever ago. I don't even know much about your amateur career or even, you know, your rookie career. Did you transition well from amateur to pro? Did you find success right away? Um, how was that yeah, transition for you? The transition was was uh, was pretty good, and it, you know it exceeded my expectations. I mean, when you're you know you know I'm I'm very fortunate. I grew up at the height of the very peak of flat track racing in Northern California. In that I started racing in '73, and the sport was still on a rise until the oh I'd say the late '70s, and you started to see it kind of taper down a little bit. But there was a lot of racing in Northern California. I, I remember racing Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 20 weekends in a row, and Memorial Day and Labor Day re- weekends. We were running four or five races in four days. And, you know, I, I was doing 100 races a year for a six- or seven-year period there as a kid coming through the ranks. And uh, I had a lot of time in the saddle. I raced a lot. I wasn't the the most talented rider, but I, I I raced a bunch as a kid, and 
Northern California at that time also had a wide variety of racetracks. We'd be at Lodi on Friday night, a cushion short track at Oakdale on Saturday, or over in Monterey, California at a, at a, at a little bull ring cushion track, uh, airport speedway on Sunday, and then other years there was Hills Ferry Speedway in Newman. I, I think at, at one time I went back and counted and I probably hit a, you know, a good 60 or 70 different unique tracks um, uh, just in Northern California alone. And that didn't include going to, to some of the the regional stuff and amateur nationals that we used to have back then. So um, I, I raced a lot as a kid on a lot of different types of surfaces and that, that prepared me for everything but pea gravel because <laughs> there was no pea, there's no pea, it doesn't seem like there's any pea gravel uh, west of the Rockies and, uh, and it's kind of weird gravel though, was like going to the moon for me when I first came across it. A lot of the California guys always seem to do well on pea gravel though. I mean, is that cause you had a lot of cushion short tracks or, I mean, you I think see that guys... has a lot to uh, that has a lot to do with it. You know, I, I was primarily a blue groove guy, but it didn't mean that I was uh, immune to cushions. You know, I remember my rookie year. One of the one main event I didn't make my rookie year was Lima, but then by the time uh, I, I finally got my first win there in '91 and had some pretty solid finishes for for many a years there. So, you know, good riders are going to adapt no matter what the surface is. And uh, as a professional, that's what you're supposed to do. And uh, it just took me a little bit longer on the pea gravel than maybe some others. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's probably the easiest to figure out. You just pin it. It's just hard to yeah. get, your, get your elbow to, to do that. Yeah the, the, yeah, the brain and <laughs> throttle hand are, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, I mean, that changes as you get older too. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I got old before I figured it out. I think that's the problem. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, you mentioned uh, how much you raced as a as a kid, and is I mean, who is something we don't know? Like, who was your biggest competitor as a kid? I mean, was there one guy like growing up with Chris Carr that you battled with week in and week out, or was it? I mean, were were you the dominant kid? I wouldn't say I was the dominant kid. I, I mean, I had my my turn at the front of the pack, you know, as a kid growing up. Um, but you know, I I remember the eighty eighty class back then. It was called eighty expert. Here it would just be called an A class. And um, I mean, go to go to some races, and there'd be twenty eight of them in our class. And the the guy I got to chase Doug Chandler for you know for a handful of years. Oh, and, uh, you know, Doug won nationals for, for factory Honda and then later Freddie Spencer. And he was, a, he was a great guy to chase. And then there was, uh, Tracy Hayes, who was a couple years older than I was. I had some good guys to chase against. And then, uh, Aaron Hill, uh, he and I are about the same age and we raced a lot together and Doug's younger brother, Kurt Chandler. Um, he was, he was a real good rider and, and, uh, you know, Steve Mayfield, uh, I mean, there's a lot of guys you can go back through the, through the, about the 1984 list of pro-ams or, uh, or novices that year. And a lot of those guys were guys that I was racing against for either, you know, same year as me or, or a year later. Or, and then there were some that, you know, the years before, I mean, I had a lot of great guys to watch too. And that's the other thing is, uh, you know, 
it, there were so many pros from Northern California and and a handful of them that you could watch and learn from. You don't have to be on the track with them, but you can, you know, emulate what they do because, you know, there weren't any schools back then. You, know, you just kind of figured it out as you went. But, you know, uh, Alex Jorgensen, his brother, Kim Jorgensen, uh, I mean, I grew up idolizing Kenny Roberts as well. I uh, got to see a lot of those guys race the Western Nationals, you know, throughout the years. And, I mean, it was uh, – it was a pretty pretty strong breeding ground for flat trackers at that time, and so I, I had a lot of flint, a lot of uh, great examples of people to watch and learn from. Well, you mentioned Kenny Roberts, and one of the questions I get, you know, I've been around the sport since I was born, and people want to know who's the most talented flat tracker you've ever raced with. Obviously, you mentioned you're a guy that you might not have been the most talented, but you're from from my point of view, you're an intelligent racer. You work hard. You're the diverse um you mentioned kenny roberts comparing kenny roberts to like say ricky graham you know who who is the most talented rider you've ever seen on a bike i mean maybe they didn't stick in flat track you know roberts went road racing maybe even nikki hayden who went road racing um talent level who was the guy who was who was the guy for you that behind that rider you were amazed at what they were doing uh you know there have been a I've always said, and this hasn't changed, Ricky Graham in 1993, and I'm going to be specific to that year um, because uh, I didn't really race with him in in 82 or 84. But 93, he, you know, I won five races that year, and which was a good year for me at the time. It was near, uh, you know, one of my best, most productive years, and he wrapped the title up with three races to go with 12 wins. Wow. And uh, I mean, I had a, I had a, I had at that time, you know, a, a championship caliber year, and I wasn't even in the hunt. And it was, I mean, Ricky was so dominant. I mean, Parker, I think, was fourth that year in points, uh, over a hundred points down, and uh, and that was, wow. you know, Scotty was in his prime. That's how good Ricky Graham was in '93, and. And uh, I never really got to race with Kenny Roberts. I got to ride mini bikes with him, and I watched him for years. But you know, on track, Ricky was uh, Ricky was the best I've ever seen. And uh, getting to ride with Jay Springsteen uh, is has been a is as I always cherish those moments. Um, I remember one time uh, it was uh, I think we were at Vernon Downs sometime in the early 2000s and. It was early in the main event, and Spring was up front. He was, you know, three-quarters of the way up the track, you know, grabbing a handful, picking his feet up real early, and I was just kind of pole putting around the bottom, but I was just watching him from about, you know, 100 feet back and uh, knowing that the blue groove was going to come in. But the first 10 laps of that race, I had the best seat in the house watching, <laughs> you know, a magician go through the corners. And uh, and so, I, I mean, I've had some, some great experiences I got to race against a lot of the, you know, the the superstars of of flat track through the through the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s and uh um you know, I've had some great experiences in my you know, I I raced for 27 years at that level and uh I I I've, I've seen seen more than most, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, you've you've raced with uh basically all the, you know, current past future you know everything um you've been a you've been a part of uh, you know a big history of uh <clears throat> of flat track um i mean obviously 
in the in the big scheme, I mean, Parker was probably one of your biggest, uh, you know, rivals or competitors, you know, throughout throughout most of your years. From the outside looking in, I mean, obviously that was me. You know, when I was a kid, that's when I was watching flat track. It was, you know, who was going to win, Scott Parker or Chris Carr? And uh, you know, as a kid watching those races, it always seemed like you guys always raced each other pretty clean, had some good hard battles. But is there is there ever was there ever any tension? I mean, obviously you guys are battling for championships. Things are going to be a little weird, but I mean, is there ever any, uh, any big moments that you two guys had o- over the years? I would, I would say that, yeah. I mean, anytime you're going to have guys going, you know, that are trying to achieve the same goal and only one's going to succeed that somewhere along the way, there's going to be uh, some animosity or there's going to be, you know, somebody gets rubbed the wrong way or what have you, and uh, I, I think there was a little bit of that more in the early years with, with uh, between Scott and I when I first came onto the scene. You know, Scotty uh, wasn't the champion yet. You know, he, you know, in '86 and '87, and you know, we were we were both racing for for Factory Harley, chasing Honda of Schobert for the most part, and a little bit with Ricky, and. Uh, you know, we were vying for position, you know, and, and my team wasn't set up the way his was. I like to, I like to joke that he was the in-house factory team with Bill Werner and, and Kenny Tolbert and I, we were the outhouse factory team. And they, <laughs> so, uh, we didn't have, uh, you know, the upper hand as far as dealing with Milwaukee, which is no excuse, but we also had a little bit more freedom that, uh, you know, we we weren't inclined to 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 share as as much as maybe they had to at times too. So it kind of worked both ways. And you know, I I remember an incident where you know we're trying to we're trying to position ourselves for the run of the checkered flag at at Decoin, and this was before Decoin. You know, uh, you know, you you both have ridden there, but I don't know if you were old enough to have ridden it when the back straightaway was about 20 feet narrower and it was Armco barrier line rather than the concrete wall that they have now. So turn coming off of turn two was really tight and, um, and it was narrow down the back straightaway and, and we had kind of a narrow blue groove and we're just, I was, I was in the perfect position to, to line up. I forget who it was, but it was somebody on a Honda, you know, going into turn three, I wanted to be second and Scotty snuck around the outside of me and then kind of chopped in front of me and filled a very small gap uh, between me and the rider in front. And I had to, you know, pitch this thing, thing sideways and get on the binders and they weren't working all that well because they never do on a mile uh, when you're getting sucked into the draft. And I, got kind of pinched down in the guardrail and that pissed me off a little bit. And <laughs> I, I made a poor decision. I was, you know, 19, 20 years old and made a poor decision of, uh, of criticizing him on the podium. And that's why I had the boo birds for so many years in, in the state of Illinois, because, uh, I spoke my <laughs> mind, you know, and, and it, it's something that, you know, I, it took, you know, I didn't like it, but you know, it, it kind of helped make me who I am in a lot of ways and allowed me to, to shrug off a lot of criticism through the years because if I didn't put that behind me, then I would never get to go around in circles. And I just had to let the water you know, run off the duck's back when it, when it came to that kind of stuff. And eventually that turned around. Yeah. 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 I mean, you get, 
obviously you get upset and you know i mean parker yeah yeah i can i can imagine what that was that was like but but it's kind of funny like what you mentioned about uh the in-house team and the and the outhouse team it's kind of the same thing going on right now with Kenny. Tolbert. Yeah, I was when when I he's, was saying he's the, that. He's the outhouse team right now with with Jerry. And he lo- he loves the outhouse. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, the guy the guy is sharp, and you know, uh, when when he and I hooked up, you know, we were ten years apart in age, and that was that was kind of it's kind of still almost unheard of to a certain extent. And when you have only 10 years between your ranch, in a lot of ways, we learned a lot from each other. He learned how to provide me with what, you know, we communicated really, really well. And we were from the same age. There was never an ego between the tuner and the rider when it came to our relationship, which is different than what I had with Mert Lawwell. Mert was, you know, a, a, a former Grand National champion. He, uh, you know, he was a st- one of the three stars of On Any Sunday, and uh, he built bikes for other riders. He was a very talented mechanic uh, and, and obviously a great racer. But, you know, me, a 19-year-old kid coming to ride for him for the first time, you know, I didn't know I didn't know shit what I wanted, you know, the motorcycle or what the bike was doing, what um, didn't matter to him. It was more about how he thought it should be. And then my relationship with with Tolbert was that we learned together, we made mistakes together, we had victories together, we did the right thing together, you name it. And uh, it was a great re- relationship because it was a shared learning curve that we both were going through together. And I think that's what made us so strong for so many years in that it got to a point where if I'm out in left field as a rider on a day, he would have a pretty good idea of what what I needed, and he could look at me and tell me, hey, you're doing this, and you're not doing this, and I know that he wouldn't be bullshitting me. And uh, there were days where he doesn't know what to do, and I'll go, hey, if you can, if we can do this and this and get me a tenth or a tenth and a half with this adjustment, I'll figure out how to get the other tenth or a tenth and a half. And I would assume some of the responsibility as a rider in order to, to make up a deficit that, that we may have against other riders. And, and that worked good. I didn't, you know, I didn't want him to be solely responsible for making the bike better and me not have any input. I, I, I owned up to wanting to go faster and, and didn't, put him in a position where set on him you know we won as a team and we lost as a team and I think that was important uh, in our in our growth and why we lasted so long yeah I mean you guys have been together as long as I can remember I didn't even know you worked with Mert so that shows my age um <laughs> that's pretty cool I mean you you grew up you know racing pro in the 80s and 90s and 2000s um Anybody you hated to ride with? Anybody you hated to race with? I mean, anybody scarier where they were they got near you on the track and you're like, this guy's a loose cannon. I need to get away from him. Jake Johnson as a rookie? <laughs> no, <laughs> you didn't really bother me that much at all. I don't think. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, I I don't. You know, to sit. I, I've learned a lot from being critical of uh, 
uh, a Parker on on a situation just like I said, and I think it doesn't do really any good for me to sit here and, and badmouth somebody that I was uncomfortable with. Uh, I will say this that there's a very very long list of riders that were either really good uh, or really good on occasion, and uh, I mean there. I'm no saint in the sense that, you know, I've made mistakes out on the racetrack and my actions have put people on the ground as well. Um, never intentionally, but some guys seem to seem to ride a little bit uh, over their head more than others, and they all know who they are and you know who all, all they are. I don't need to single them out here. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. I mean, probably one of my, like, it's kind of simple, but... One of like one of the things that stands out that I always remember, um, you know, in my career was I think it was I think it was my rookie year. We were at Sedalia, and it was one of the years when Sedalia was good. Um, and I remember it was a heat race, and it was it was me and you. We pretty much ran side by side for ten straight laps, and I think you ended up, you know, nipping me at the at the line. You ended up winning the heat race or whatever it was, but. It was just, that was just one of my, you know, moments, you know, especially as a rookie or to, to, you know, just battle with Chris Carr for 10 laps, swap places and never even come close to, to touching each other. You know, it was, it was, uh, just definitely, I mean, yeah, like you said, I mean, there's some, some different guys out there that, that you can't do that with, but, uh, but that was one thing that I, I think took from you, um, obviously, as a competitor, um, you know, I've, I've, as a kid, I've taken the American super camp, you know, a few times with you as an instructor. I think I've guest instructed, you know, alongside of you. And, uh, you know, I, I can't say it word for word, but you know, one thing I learned from you is, you know, respect. respect. Yeah. Yeah. Like if, if basically if you can't pass the guy without running into the side of him, you're not a good racer. You know, maybe you're not, not that you're not a good racer, but if you're a good enough racer and you got the talent, you got the speed and you can do it, race the guy, you know, don't, don't T-bone him, you know? Yeah. Um, Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because, um, I mean, if, if you've watched the last three supercrosses, (laughs) <laughs> um, we were just talking about yeah. it, and uh, and it's been going on in Supercross for years, and outdoor motocross and whatnot. I mean, it has been widely accepted that takeout moves are uh, okay, encouraged. Um, They're encouraged, and in and it, it, it's. I mean, you've got a you know multi you know time champion Ricky Carmichael, you know, saying it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. That was. That was good, and then I, a lot of times, you know, when every now and then they'll say that was a bad one, and I'm like, well, that wasn't a whole lot different than the other one. <laughs> so uh, I've I've always been the kind of guy. I mean, I, you know, like I said before, I've made mistakes. I've run it up underneath people. I've moved people over. I've knocked people down. I'm I'm not a hundred percent innocent uh, of this, but there are some people out there that it seems like the only way they can get by somebody is to screw them somehow, <laughs> either by running them over, taking a line, weaving, or you name it. And uh, that's always something that I, I kind of frowned upon. You know, I, you know, Lodi Cycle Bowl was a very, very tough track to pass on. 
and I made up more as many mistakes there trying to pass people as I did <laughs> anywhere else. But it also taught me how to figure out ways to get by guys because at the pro level, you know, you might be able to get away with it a little bit at the local level. At the pro level, I mean, uh, these guys will these guys will flat park your ass and put you in the parking lot with all the other Harleys if you do it too much. <laughs> and uh, and and that's just how it is. I mean, I I, I you know the v- absolute very worst day I ever had at a racetrack was my rookie year. Uh, at the Indy Mile, um, I got into Ricky Graham uh, in a in a in a heat race and not and got sucked into the draft and and knocked him off the groove and he had to go to a semi or something like that and uh, I went on to the main event and he didn't really say a whole lot other than he gave me a couple of dirty looks and then later on in the day <laughs> I the same thing happened to me I made the same mistake again got in too tight and into the inside of Hank Scott going into turn 3 at Indy and knocked him off the groove and uh later in the race my bike blew up but you you know Hank Scott was sitting there waiting for me when I came back you know <laughs> after the on the crash truck and uh he had a few choice words for me and 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 that was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me is for him to sit there and uh give me a little scared straight moment and that uh you can't be doing that shit on the mile you're going to you're going to hurt somebody or kill somebody and if you want to continue to ride that way we'll just go out back settle it out in the back field like men hell no <laughs> we good we good <laughs> no yeah i mean i've i think we've all had those heart to hearts really i mean i think i remember you yeah. sitting me down when i turned pro and you gave me the uncle chris talk you know on the miles and things like that and yeah, it's crazy how that comes full circle. Um, but no, I mean, wanted to talk to you a little bit about moving forward, a little bit about, you know, uh, the fans want to know, you know, you, you were the chief competition officer for AFT. How was that experience? Um, give us a, as much information or as little as you want, but did they kind of let you have the control you wanted? I mean, how, how did that go? And um, obviously you're not doing it anymore. So um, what, wh- how'd that all kind of play out, I guess? Well, I would say it was a on on a personal level, it was a uh, an absolutely fantastic learning opportunity as a as a as a person for me. Um, I joke all the time, but this is the absolute truth. It's the first real job I ever had. The first time I ever collected a W two, and I was you know fifty when that happened. So I'm very fortunate that that racing has provided, you know, I, I got to wait until I was 50, but, uh, to collect the W2, but it was also one of the, one of the harder parts of it too, was, uh, um, I, I was on a very steep learning curve. Um, corporate structure is different than, uh, pit structure and, uh, going out there and doing a good job and you get paid for it. And, uh, here, you know, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was difficult, and and then my relationship with the majority of the paddock had had to change too. So I likened going from where I was as a former racer and and hanging out in the pits a lot and and maybe doing a little bit of color commentary to going to uh, the chief competition officer job um, was kind of like straddling a picket fence, <laughs> and uh, no matter which way you leaned, it was going to hurt. Barbed wire. And, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that was, that was the tough part in, in that, 
Um, you were a lot I, grumpier I, when you were the, chi- the chief competition <laughs> officer. Well, I, I, I would, I would, I couldn't disagree with that. You know, yeah. uh, I mean, the, the thing for me was that, you know, in, in, in dealing with some of the, you know, some of the riders, not all of them, but, uh, some of the riders, everybody came to me and they, they had an angle you had, you know, you had 30 guys wanting to track prepped one way and 30 guys wanted another and people want you to, you know, you know, blow the groove off. People want you to dig it up more water, less water. Who was the worst rider to deal with as the officer? Jared Meese? Yeah, I would, I I wouldn't say he was the worst to deal with, but he was the most, uh, the most inquisitive, put it that way. Yeah. I mean, he, I mean, he talks, he, he, I mean, the guy does his job. I mean, I did the same thing when I was racing in the sense that you're trying to arm yourself with as much information and information allows you to be prepared and, um, being prepared each and every week is, is, a is, is part of the, the process of being a successful racer and, uh, knowing what may come along and, and, um, having the ability to adapt if it doesn't, uh, prove true is, uh, is you know a key thing for any champion you know you and i Corey, had that a little bit you were hoping the track would be a certain way but there's never a guarantee that it is and if it's not well then you have to change because the track's not yeah i mean i think from when we started working together last year to where to when when we ended i mean meadowlands none of us wanted to be out there the track was a shithole and i didn't really bitch about it i don't know if you're surprised by that but um, you know, all the, all the riders were up there talking. I remember I reached my ear in to listen on what was going on. You're like, doesn't matter for you, dude, you need to go out there and race. And I was like, you're right, dude. I was like, I, let's, let's go. So, uh, I definitely learned, I learned a little bit from you last year in terms of, you know, sometimes the track doesn't play out the way you want it and you got to be prepared to tackle that obstacle when it comes. So, you know, definitely- you know, I mean, it's, it's interesting you bring up the Meadowlands too, because, you know, a lot of people were, you know, I don't think what took place at the Meadowlands would have taken place if what had happened the week before in Minneapolis had taken place. If Minneapolis wasn't the disaster that it was where guys were getting hurt and they had a, a lousy setup with the curb coming off of uh, turns two and turns four, the thing running out of cushion, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. over water in the track. It had those had those injuries, you know, to uh, James Monaco and uh, J.R. Addison. Addison. If if those guys hadn't got hurt there, I don't think Meadowlands would have happened. And of course. I don't think you can really blame um, the Oliver Brindley incident really on the racetrack. The racetrack wasn't as good as it was the year before, but um, I think some of the older, more veteran guys um, thought maybe they had been on worse before. But with it being on the heels of of what took place in Minnesota, bad luck the week before carried over into here, and everybody was in a just in the mood to get get out in one piece at that point. I think that race would have gone on uh gone on uh as as normal um as it could have been had the events the week before in Minneapolis not taken place. Yeah, for sure. It was it was definitely like the straw that broke the camel's back, I guess you could say yeah. like just you know, as like on my side just as a rider, it was like you can only take so much shit for so long and then, you know, it's just 
if it's not, you know, it got to that point where if it wasn't perfect, nobody was going to be happy. So, but yeah, I mean, you know, going back to that, like your position, you know, with AFT, I mean, I, man, I would, I would not want that position. You know, it's just like, like you kind of touched on a little bit, you know, sitting on a picket fence. Uh, Cause in one sense, you know, you're, I guess to say it one way, you're one of us, you know what I mean? Like I've, yeah. I've known yeah. you for a long time. We've raced together, been friends, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, in a way it's like you, all of a sudden you're the enemy, you know, not the enemy, you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of hard to explain, not the enemy, but like, it's, you know, we've had some words and had some, had some things go on, but yeah, I mean, that's, that is uh that that had to been a had to been a tough time um i went from being a co-conspirator to being a cop and and yeah (laughs) that's you know that that's uh, i think i think that's a a tough thing for some people to expect but when i when i look back and if you look back to 2016 before you know the rebranding of flat track before twins on everything you know i was brought in to uh help ease the transition and a lot of what's going into place today i don't agree with a hundred percent you know headed into 2020 but um uh we had to go through a certain amount of change in the way everything has been presented in order for us to get to where we're at and a lot of people don't like where we're at and they're saying well production twins is the way to go i mean I, I knew I knew a couple years ago that 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 we were going to be at this point where the top class in flat track is going to going to be about fewer people rather than being open to anybody with a license and that you know but we you know production twins uh, I had to kind of help accelerate its process to the point where it is right now because there wasn't a whole lot of belief that it would get much in the way of support, but I knew it would get support from the paddock because I knew the entire paddock couldn't afford to buy an Indian in order to be competitive. And production twins served the second purpose in that you need to have a, you can't go from a 450 to a fire breathing Indian and not have that step need there needed to be a step in between and production twins fills that void and the bikes were readily available because they had already been built. And, uh, I have a feeling that if I wasn't at AFT at that time, that where we'd be right now is super twins and singles. Oh, I agree. I, I, I mean, I had a lot of conversations with you over the off season about production twins and you were definitely the guy who kind of, help push that along. Um, you know, I offered some, some advice and guidance when you, when you needed it or asked it, but you were definitely the guy who kind of helped roll that along and it, it was successful. I mean, there, it was, the fans really liked that class, enjoyed it. And I think it'll be even bigger moving forward. Um, time will tell, I guess there's definitely a lot of things, as you mentioned, that are changing for the year, um, moving forward from the past to the present and you've been around for many years now. And, um, but I guess the next question I had, you know, as far as the way 2019 played out with, you know, we read your article, well, I read your articles on Thunder Press and read your articles when I can. It's really cool, you know, that, uh, that you're writing about the sport and things like that. But the way the 2019 season played out with 
you know, Briar winning and uh, the singles class production twins. What are you, what are your predictions for 2020? I mean, do you think Meese comes back swinging? Do you think Briar still has a legitimate shot at a repeat? Um, production twins, singles. What, what are you thinking for 2020? Some Chris Carr predictions. You know, I just, uh, I just wrote my column for the, for the February issue and just sent it off a few days ago. And um, I've been kind of, it was kind of a, little bit of a rush at the end and my initial prediction is that Bauman wins again but it goes down to the wire it goes down to the last race and then um, I got to think it a little bit more and uh, I've done some research and uh, I, I, I really really think that based on what I saw that um, the changes in the in the rules or I should say the limitation placed on the Indians will have a bigger effect on Mies than it will Bauman. Um, Bauman has a little bit more throttle control, um, even though he's younger. Um, he's yeah, got I better I leverage. I haven't seen that. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, I, I mean, I, you may, maybe you haven't seen that because you're back in the field a little bit, but yeah, when I watch yeah, it on, yeah. on, on television and yeah, the smoke when from I watched it, tires blinding me. Yeah, I I see a, a a certain amount of finesse that Breyer has that very I haven't seen it very often. He's very Ricky Graham 1993 like in in and I don't like to say that because I don't want it, want it to fill his fill his head too much, but um I I believe that Breyer Bauman can have a a 1993 Ricky Graham like year next year. I really do. Big. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's that's definitely, my prediction. He's got the talent. I mean, he's he's our buddy, so we try not to blow his head up too big. But he's almost um, my brother-in-law. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you know, that was just a joke when you said about throttle control. Because we we call him a loose cannon. You know, he's, but he's he's definitely maturing and and he's figuring it out. So I mean, he's got a and now that he has a a, a full year on one bike. Yeah. Um, you know, the year before he got on the Indian late and had some pretty good results, and you know he he floundered. You know, the year and a half before that on the on the Kawasaki's a little bit um, had a little bit of you know some flashes here and there, but uh, um, he's come a long way in a very short period of time, and and he is undoubtedly the most talented rider on the racetrack right now. Um, uh, but Jared Mees is the best racer currently and i think if if um when briar learns how to win the close ones um rather than outrun them uh, on you know outride them and, and run away from them when he learns to win the close ones Mies is in trouble yeah i, I joke around with, i joke around with jared a lot well jared's a friend of mine briar's obviously family and i like them both uh obviously i gotta stick with my my brother-in-law, Briar, soon to be. Hey, but... I like them both. You know, Kenny Tolbert's, you know, my link to the Mies team. And, and uh, I've been a big fan of Briar for, for several years now. I've, I've always recognized him as a, as a pretty good up-and-coming talent. And uh, yeah. maturity starting to kick in, um, not only as a person, but as a racer. And uh, I, I think he's, 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 got a, uh, he's got a long way to go, and he can do this for a while. Yeah, I, I joked with Jared. He, Jared likes to give me shit about everything, and I was like, dude, 
I won't be talking so much smack. Briar beat you with one wrist this year. I was like, next year you got to deal with two good wrists. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, we appreciate your time. There's a couple more uh, segments we want to do with you. It won't take long. We have um, one segment, you know, you raced in the 90s. And for me, the 90s was, was man, that was was the – that was the tits for uh, flat track racing. And I want to name off some riders from the nineties and I want one word or one sentence to describe the rider. Um, you know, just, just something brief. Uh, we'll start it off. Jay Springsteen. One word. Oh boy. One word, one sentence, a brief description on, on each of these riders. Springer's. I, I, I just wish the thing about Jay is if, uh, if he could have never gotten sick, you know, the 80s and, you know, throughout the late, you know, the entire 80s he spent seemed like sick, puking, one thing or another with his nerves. I hate to think what his records would have been if he were healthy. Yeah. So, uh, next one, we heard a little bit about it, but uh, Ricky Graham. Just the most gifted. Rusty Rogers. I got at 12 years old, amateur nationals in Michigan, they were selling T-shirts out of his pit area. The one and only most talked about Rusty Rogers. We talked about him until about 87, and we didn't talk about him much anymore. But he was, uh, he was either go or blow. Love it. Steve Moorhead. Steve's a legend. I mean, a guy, what was he, 50? About 50, or it seemed like, when he, when he finally hung it up. I think his heart's in the right place. Um, I, I, I'd hate to think what it'd be like at the track without him. Um, I know some people might disagree with that, but um, in the end, Steve's on the side of the paddock. Yeah, he screamed at me a lot, but I would, I would miss him for sure. For sure. You know Same. what? Same. I think, I think all I racers at him one too, time so. or another deserve to be screamed at by the, by the guy <laughs> running the show. Uh, I've got a couple more here. Rodney Ferris. Rodney, Rodney was uh, fast. He was one of those guys that you uh, you you had to you had to respect because he was so fast. But he also made you a little bit nervous because uh, he he could he could rough you up. Um, but uh, he was one of the fastest guys that never won a national. Yeah, yeah. It was funny funny you say that. I was I was trying to. We had it in the show, but we we kind of we kinda skipped it. The whole uh, I was looking for the whole Oklahoma City half mile incident with you and Parker, um, and I came across I forget what year it was, but I seen uh, some footage of old Rodney kind of moving some guys off the groove, and he's uh, he was definitely definitely fast, definitely aggressive. But uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, moving on uh, next one, uh, Will Davis. Will Davis, man, I miss that guy. Yeah, you know. Uh, that you know that night in Sedalia um was probably the probably the hit me the hardest of any anybody that you know that loved doing what they were doing um to see them pass like that that one hit pretty close uh we we had been doing a lot of american super camps together um, we spent a lot of time away from the racetrack in and around the school environment, played a lot of golf, um, uh, together in between races. And, uh, I mean, he's, uh, he's one of the, you know, I think he's won more nationals than anybody that 
hasn't won a national championship. Title. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that guy got to the point where he was he was he was going to be tough to to hold back in 2001. 2001 would have would have been a lot tighter than it was had Sedalia not happened. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, 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 I'm, I think the whole sport um, still reels from his loss today, nearly 20 years later. For sure. Yeah. Uh, two more. Rich King. Uh, Rich was a good rider week in, week out. You know, he rode for the factory, and he became the guy to beat week in and week out. Uh, one of the guys I had to worry about for the, for the championship. Um, I, I never really had any issues with Rich. I, I respect him as a racer. He won his share of races. Here's a good one. Last last one. Kevin Atherton. Oh, Cupcake. Cupcake. Man. <laughs> um, there's an old saying, million-dollar wrist and a five-cent head. Uh, <laughs> about the best thing I could say about Kevin. Very, very, very gifted, talented motorcycle rider. Um, and uh, became a pretty good racer later in his years. Um, but, uh, I, I think, uh, I think some, some choices along the way that he might've made a little bit differently would have improved his career quite a bit. For sure. No, we appreciate that. Like I said, I grew up at the racetrack. I went to my first national when I was, I think two weeks old, I went to California in the old race bus with my dad. And I grew up watching you guys. I hate to admit it. I don't know if I ever told you, but growing up, I was more of a Parker fan uh <laughs> oh, that's not un, that's not you're uncommon not, and i understand i get that, it right. i understand it but now you're like family like you're like my boy like we've we've come a long way together and you rode for my dad and um you've been there for me through some hard times and my rider coach this past season and yeah it's just a different level now but as a kid i was more of a parker fan just because he kind of every time he'd win a race he'd he'd yell the yeah and i was just like i don't know i just love but i've learned to appreciate the the career of chris carr um not more than parker but kind of the way you different it's It's different different. and i've learned to appreciate what you've been able to accomplish how diverse you were and um yeah i've just learned to appreciate that and um but no i just yeah i just that the riders of the 90s wanted to go through that with you and our last one we do every segment um you know, it's we call it the higher low line. We ask you two questions, and just give us uh, one or the other with a brief explanation, and then we'll we'll wrap this up. I know you got dinner is definitely you're gonna oh, be dinner ready is for cold. breakfast. Dinner is ready cold. for breakfast. It's, it's already burnt. So Pam's in bed already. He's got it cleaned up in the fridge. <laughs> All right, we got some good ones for you. XR750 or Wood Rotex? Which bike? Oh wow, I think I had a better winning percentage on a Wood Rotex. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, all those Peoria wins and I'm sure Daytona's and all kinds of stuff, but all right. So if looking back at it now, well, the way things are right now, if you had your choice, would you rather be a factory Harley rider in 1990 or a factory Indian rider in 2020? Hmm. Good one, Jake. That's a very good question. And uh, I think we always, you know, hell, I just want to, I want to ride a, an FTR. I would say uh, a factory Indian rider today, um, and and put everything aside just to be able to experience that motorcycle. 
on some of uh, today's tracks. I feel like you're cheating that question a little bit. I'm just curious. <laughs> what do you think pays better, the 1990 Harley or the? I mean, I, I've I seen think it tra- depends on if your last name is Mies or Bauman. You know, I mean, today, I mean, back then, you know, the dollar, you know, dollars went further than they do today. True. Yeah, very true. This is one we've we've been going on here in the podcast for a <laughs> this few. This one won't end. A few episodes now. We're gonna keep it rolling. Um, Jared Meese or Henry Wiles, who wins a wrestling match? Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I like that answer. Who gives a shit? <laughs> it's gonna happen. So uh, obviously, we know you're a big fan of flat track. It's I mean, it's been your life. But what are you a bigger fan of, Supercross or MotoGP? Ooh. I'd say I've become more a fan of Supercross because I don't want to pay a uh, uh, hundred bucks to watch MotoGP every year. <laughs> but uh, I, I gotta say, um, I, I I admire the talent of of the top tier riders from both those series. I'm I'm excited for Supercross in this year. Three races, three winners in the 450 class. 250 class, at least on the West, looks pretty interesting right now. And uh, you know, MotoGP is, is, you know, can anybody catch Mark Marquez? Um, yeah. I, th- that's a good question, you know, in the sense that, you know, that's what they're trying to model AFT after. It's more, more of the MotoGP side than I would say Supercross. You know, there's more factory riders in Supercross and uh, MotoGP than there are in the flat track paddock. Um, but I think uh, that's their goal. And uh, if you're a fan of either one of those, hopefully one of these days, um, maybe, just maybe, flat track will be in the same sentence. Yep. Yeah. We've got two more here. Obviously, you're Kenny Tolbert's your guy. Bill Warner or Johnny Goad as your next choice as a tuner? Who would you pick? Uh, Johnny Goad. Wow. Any reason? That was, that was quick. That was quick. I just don't like Bill Warner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's we hear that. We hear that quite often. So that's that's good. I like it. So uh obviously you've been a Pennsylvania guy for shit long time now. But born and raised in California. Well, I mean I guess obviously we know the answer, but uh California or Pennsylvania? Well, for they me, both have, growing they up, both have their pros and cons, I guess. I mean, right now, I, I, I would much rather live in Pennsylvania today, and I'd much rather be a, a flat track rider growing up in Pennsylvania today. California in the 70s and the 80s was a great place to be, a, a, be from and be a flat tracker. Today, not so much. Um, and I, I left there going well 22 years ago i've been in pennsylvania now and uh i enjoy seeing the people that i know and grow up you know in california but i also look forward to leaving so <laughs> how do we claim these championships like do do we does pennsylvania <laughs> claim your titles when you lived in pa do Briars... i mean those guys in michigan claimed me's didn't they yeah yeah no i'm just yeah. i'm just curious like how that works does it work where you're from or work where you live you know there's like how does that because then briar just won he's from he lives in pa now too um but technically he, he didn't was... have a pennsylvania driver's license before he won the championship so that's <laughs> that what we're going on that's pennsylvania okay I, you know i i got i had uh, a pennsylvania driver's license on six of my seven championships so 
<laughs> you know, I, I can't credit the state of Pennsylvania for uh, grooming me to be, uh, you know, grooming me for all this success. But I will tell you, I, uh, I will credit Pennsylvania for uh, um, producing Pamela Brooks, who later became Pamela Carr. And I'm very lucky for that. And I don't know that if I would have found her in a place like California. Keystone State, baby. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm. I'm Pam's in a, the best. I'm in a similar boat. I'm. I'm a Jersey boy, and I moved, found mine in PA. <laughs> Definitely not going to find a Jersey girl like Jody. That's for sure. So, I, I, I get where you're coming from on that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, we appreciate you coming on. We'll let you go. Tell Pam thanks for uh for holding your dinner warm for you, and always a good always good bench racing with you. And uh, yeah, I know you're a busy guy, so we appreciate you coming yeah. on the show. We're gonna have to have uh, him thanks back. For... There's there's a lot there's a lot of Chris car stories out there. That oh, we... so much more. We're gonna have to have uh, yeah, like three or four some of them. Some of them I'm gonna take the fifth on. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, there I've been been at it a long time, and uh, I thank you guys for inviting me. Uh, it's been fun. And uh, I look forward to coming back when you'll have me. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, See thanks, you later, Chris. buddy. All right, guys. Chris Carr, seven-time wow. champ. That was that was quite the uh, interview, man. There's so much more I wanted to talk to him about, but he's such an insightful guy. He gives great descriptions, so it's like, you know, 15 minutes turns into a half hour. Yeah, just, that, just the Pennsylvania-California <laughs> answer. I, I'd been like, oh, well, Pennsylvania is, like, greener, nicer. Uh, California, the weather's uh, nicer. Yeah. But he did make a good point. Like, as like he viewed it. Like, the guy hasn't raced in a long time, but he still viewed it as a racer. Yeah. Like, I would rather grow up right now as a racer in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. So it was cool. That was definitely a cool answer on there. Yeah. Well, Chris Carr, we appreciate him coming on. We wanted to talk about this stuff in the beginning of the episode, but we're going to kind of shift it to where we're at now. Just the fan questions. We had three fan questions we wanted to talk about. Pier City Cycles, question for um, each of you guys. Which rider have you ridden with from a different discipline, road racing, motocross, GNCC, car racing, that made you think, man, I'm glad that guy chose to do what he's doing and not flat track. So it could be, I guess, I'm going to change the question, maybe one that a rider we've seen watching something where he'd be really yeah. good at flat track. Um, I'm going to go first, Jake. I, yeah. I think over the course of a season, I don't think anybody that could just jump into flat track and be dominant. You know, I, I hear people say Mark Marquez, we was a really good 450 flat track racer, but I know people that know Mark and he thinks what we do is crazy. He's like, I've never ride a 750 on a mile with no runoff. He's like, it's crazy. He's like, you got, I would never do it. So um, man, I don't know. I, I, there's really talented riders. I think if there's any of the, any of the riders that would be competitive, I think it would be, you know, a Mark Marquez or Valentino Rossi guys that cross train a little bit right now in flat track a little bit. And even guys like Villapoto, you know, I, he was always really impressive to me at Vegas in the, in the flat track corner, the sweeper or whatever. But yeah, I mean, a couple races here and there maybe, but over the course of a season, they would need to do a lot of training to get to the level we're at. Cause it, it's we're pretty good at going in circles yeah yeah i mean there's some different ways to look at it. i mean i i feel a champion is a champion right i mean if if ryan dungey took the route of flat track i'd feel like he would be a flat track champion his race craft would help a lot right like if he grew up as a kid racing flat track like i think that's just something that is just well, if he grew up yeah. bred in people right, right. um but for this 
question specifically, the first person that came to mind to me was Nikki Hayden. Yeah. Um, you know, like what was it? Oh, two, Oh three. His full-time job was racing AMA Superbike for Honda. He'd come and just completely kick our ass at Springfield short track, Springfield TT, you know, the, the races that he would run. Um, he rode Terry Poovey's RS 750 at some half miles and miles that year. And, um, I don't think he ever got a win on, I think he, he won, he won on an he XR years prior. Um, I would have loved to see, but yeah, that's all he was missing was a mile for, yep. the, for the grand slam. But, but that was just doing it part-time, you know, I mean, he raced flat track full-time as a, as a younger kid, I, yeah. I guess, um, with TCR, uh, Tom Cummings racing and, and that whole deal. Um, but I would say when he was at his fastest was when he was 0203. I think a lot of people would have won less races and less championships yeah, if, if he was, still stayed with flat track. Yeah, if he was able to put his full focus on flat track, yeah, I think he he would have been, and to me, he would have been that guy. And speaking of guys we miss, man, that's that's one guy I think yeah. of a lot. I, I can't believe he's gone. I mean, it... It would, you know, I, I think once he was done road racing, he would have probably came back and and uh, and tried to get that get get that mile in. So yeah, yeah, just depends on the bike and everything. But yeah, that guy was super talented. And yeah. there's a lot of guys that you think, you know, oh, it'd be cool to see him yeah. race flat track. And more guys well, are doing it. But this year is going to be JD Beach. It's going to be his first full time full time super, you know, super at, at the premier class. So JD, get your shit together, make it happen. <laughs> Another question, Amy McCoy. She said, regarding a rough track like the Meadowlands, do you ever see the riders boycotting a racetrack? Have you ever seen anyone sit out a main event because the track was too rough? Yeah. I've, I've seen it several I've times. I've sat out. I've sat out. Peoria, I think it was 2016. I was seventh or eighth in the points when I when uh, I went out and I went out for practice, and guys were – the track was awful. There was rain, rain ruts everywhere, and I don't like Peoria as it is. And that just added to how much I hated the track. And yeah, unfortunately, that's that was the day that uh, Dominic Kalindras got hurt. And I don't know if I can blame the track on that. That was just a freak accident. But yeah, the track sucked. I hated it, yeah. and I sat out. I I watched. You know, I I pissed off my team owner. I was riding for Richie Morris at the time, and he wasn't he wasn't excited about my decision. But you know what? At the end of the day, I'm the guy riding the bike. I'm doing this for me. You know, it, and I I didn't feel comfortable being out there. So. I sat out, and then two weeks later, I I podiumed Springfield Mile. So it's um yeah, I, I'm quick to do it. I I realize racing's cool and it's my job, and I put a lot of time and effort into it. But at the end of the day, I want to be safe. I want to be smart. I have a family to come home to. So if a track is that shitty, I'll sit out. I didn't think Meadowlands. I think I've talked about this before, but I thought it was a crummy racetrack. I didn't think it was overly dangerous, just because I felt like. I could control how hard I rode that racetrack. The biggest thing with Meadowlands was the lighting. Well, there was a championship on the line too. And I had to, yeah. And like, was... I, like I mentioned, I I didn't have a choice really. I mean, I had a choice. I always have a choice, but I was so mentally focused on, you know, Chris had. I I give a lot of credit to Chris because um, if Chris wasn't there, I would have been flustered. I wouldn't have been ready ready to go and race that day because of how the track was. And Chris had me very mentally prepared for that. And the track sucked and I didn't want to, I didn't love it, but I had, you know, I felt, I felt pretty good all things considered because of having Chris there. But yeah, Jake, I mean, what about you? Have you ever, have you ever sat out? <laughs> have you seen guys sit out because the track was so bad? Yeah, it's happened a few times in my career. Like I've never, 
I've thought about it, but I've never like singly sat out, um, you know, a race or a main event, you know, because it was too bad. I was, I guess in those times I was, well, I guess if everybody else was racing, I'm going to race. Um, I get it. But, uh, um, back in, uh, forget the year I was riding Suzuki. It was like, Oh, six, Oh, Oh, five, oh, six. Wait, what track? Vegas. Oh, Vegas was oh, 07. Oh, 07, yep. So we uh, <laughs> we get to Vegas. We race practice. That place sucked. And it was just like potholes like you would not believe. It was like racing on the fucking moon, dude. Yeah. It was so it bad. It was bad. <laughs> and so everybody kind of got together after practice. We kind of had like a second riders meeting. And... Uh, you know, we're all like, you know, we can't do this. This is bad. And I think, I think it was George Roeder. He called us a bunch of pussies. Oh, and, you know, yeah. It just went off. You know, fair enough. He was um, the only one that was okay with racing. Yeah. But, I mean, but yeah, so, yeah, he's an old school guy. So the race was canceled, done. Well, you know, I, I think it was, and that was, that's crazy to think. It was, I think it was the last round of the year. And they, it was. You know, so the I think obviously the championship was already decided. Yeah. Whatever it was, I'm sure Chris. It seems like a lot of bad races. No, Kenny, are I think was Kenny. Are the last races of the year? Santa Rosa, yeah. Vegas, Meadowlands. I mean, Vegas. The one year was the last race, and that was an yeah. indoor, and that wasn't that cool. So. And there was there was one other um, Syracuse. I think right uh, around that same yeah. time, oh six, oh six ish. Um, they supposedly they used the wrong chemical on the track instead of calcium chloride. They used, Oh, and they canceled it, right? They used, uh, what is something else? Magnesium chloride, which I think is, I don't know, more effective, more moisture comes out. So as soon as the sun went down, it was super slick. The lights were horrible. We couldn't see. So we go out and do our warm up lap for the main event and you can't see guys are almost crashing at half speed i remember that so we come back we, you know we all kind of pull up to the inside we're all talking about it and and you know i was i was still pretty young at the time and i'm just kind of i don't know <laughs> seems fine to me i don't know you know get this and, guy uh, out of here yeah. and all of a sudden springer just says fuck it and him and joe bisha just start pushing his bike off the track and everybody just followed Springer. We're I like, kind of oh, remember, like, remember it was like JB Norris, I think, was the announcer, and the fans were booing. Oh yeah, they were throwing beer balls. And on he was, the track and JB and... was like, "Do you want to see a guy like Jay Springsteen get hurt out here?" And um, another guy I missed, JB Norris, man, yeah, that guy JB. was that guy was awesome. Um, yeah, so yeah, so it's happened. Typically, it's the happened. riders will band together, and we got each other's backs, uh, as you saw at Meadowlands, you know. Maybe not. Well, every, it almost happened. It almost happened. Yeah. And but you always have that one guy where if everybody sits out, that one douchebag will but, go out. And, yeah. you know, it's it's there's always that one or two guys. But, you but know, we all knew that that wasn't that's it wasn't the right thing to do. Right. Obviously, not having a race is not a good thing. There's a lot of fans there to watch a race. And it sucks for the so fans, we, man. We yeah. get it. But at the end of the day, we know we needed to put on a show, but we all kind of had to talk with each other. And yeah. And then Jared Meese goes out, flexes, and yeah, exactly wins. Yeah, quote unquote wins. <laughs> uh, Nicolee Souders, last question. She asked, uh, "What track do you wish was back on the schedule in the AFT schedule? What track? 
I gotta think about it. So I'm gonna let you answer it first. Yeah, I was. Municipal Stadium. I saw that question. That's the first one that comes to mind for me. Municipal Stadium. For me, man, when I turned, I was expert twins in 2007. There was a lot of good tracks on that that year that I really liked. Joliet. Joliet was good. Saluda, Virginia, I really liked. DuCoin is good. I didn't like DuCoin. Well, you you Uh, never, you probably never rode DuCoin when it was good. When I was there, it was slicker than hell. I didn't like it. Um, for me. Everyone talks about Hagerstown. I don't like Hagerstown. I think it's slippery. I didn't. I never liked the layout of Hagerstown. Um, there's a couple racetracks, honestly. There's not one that I loved. Indy. That I wish to bring back. I did like Indy. That's where I made my first um, Grand National main event. But there's a few. I wish there was more clay tracks that kind of grooved up and got really fast. Abrasive clay tracks. We don't really have many of them anymore. And um, I don't know, man. There's really... There's really none that I, I like really want back. Yeah. It's cool to see uh some people may disagree. But it's cool to see Oklahoma City back. Yeah. No, I, it's kind of a gnarly one, but it's a it's a good gnarly. The fans I think. the fans love OKC. Yeah. I love I love anything that it, just like Oklahoma's hot, you know, it's a yeah. you can pass there, you can run into the corner harder and be rewarded. Yeah. I, I like shit like that. It's so. like a gnarly track, but it's it's a safe it's been a safe gnarly safe gnarly yeah. it's like a lima like a cushion you know it's it's um yeah i don't know that was, that was those are good questions I, there's not a track that i i would pay like extra money to go to that's not on the schedule <laughs> but i like our schedule for for this year i don't hate it yeah i honestly i don't even know what the hell it is i'm <laughs> trying to figure out other things at the moment yeah but, uh, we're working on the jake johnson uh 2020 news we're hope, hopefully we'll have well we're gonna soon. we're gonna have some news next episode good bad or ugly i believe cool so uh, a week from now yeah cool stay tuned guys Some things happening this week should have some more answers here you go i uh last segment talking about some more rules um oh, we'll yeah. touch upon them just quick here but ft is restricting the flyable weight on the indian ftr 750s so there was rumors about it it is happening yeah Jake? i didn't i really didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal because reading it it was basically you just have to run the thing how it comes stock but thinking back chris carr said oh well it's going to affect Jared Mee is more than it is going to affect Briar Bauman. Yeah. So, which tells me, I'm sure. I was surprised. I'm sure the said... Mee's camp was playing with some different flywheel weights, some different things. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, it's not, it's not, I don't know. It, it's not as big as I thought it would be. I thought they were going to pull all the flywheel weight off. I mean, I know that was in the development of that bike. That was something that helped kind of make that thing where it is. Right. Um, It'll still be a good bike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's It's not going to be on, I think, in the Super Twins class. Do you think Briar's got more throttle control than Jared Meese? (laughs) I always thought Jared Meese had like the most throttle control. Maybe Brandon Brandon Robinson's got pretty good throttle control too. But I think Briar, the way he Briar has a lot of just his his body position on a lot of racetracks, like on top of the motorcycle, dragging the brake, just manhandling the bike. I think it makes it seem like he's got more throttle control than he does. Yeah, I mean, maybe not throttle control, but just just bike control and just natural yeah. talent. Like, like his moment at Laconia, 
he when he about oh. high sided oh, that thing, he jumped the berm sideways on the inside. He like, should have landed in Mars. I wanted to say that was just luck, but I've seen him do that several yeah. times. <laughs> yeah. No. I, and then another rider that I grew up watching that would that would do the same thing and and never fall was was Johnny Lewis. I mean, he he would get in the moments where he was going down and he would just save it. So yeah. there's a few riders I've seen that have been able to kind of kind of do that but. yeah and i think like you said like briar like throttle control and that like he gets himself into some shit i've been at the moto track with him i saw it this year i was there when he broke his wrist so <laughs> he gets himself into some shit but a lot of times he gets himself out of it but he's he's getting you know yeah he's maturing he's getting it figured out so hopefully he won't have to get himself out of so much shit yep Let's talk about a few more of these rules, and we'll uh, wrap this bitch up. We got um, yeah. I found this one this week. It was a sneaky one in the in the rule book. Riders in the main select their starting position in order of qualification and may choose to start in any available starting position on the row in which they have qualified. They may not move to another row, yeah. which is a big one for me because I've whole shotted or been second off the line from the outside second row. Yeah. Um, a lot of racetracks, so now you have to start on the front row. I guess it makes a little bit more sense because now there's only going to be four of us in the front row. It's very rare that the top four spots on the front row are worse than what the second row outside or inside would be, but it's not unheard of. I remember one year at Volusia, I had the second starting pick, and the way Volusia is, only one rider would start on the groove. The rest were in the dust. I had second pick. I started outside second row with the second pick, and I was second going yeah. into the corner. So there, There's been times, maybe not the top three, but within the front row, like where the prime spot was outside front row, then outside second row. Yeah. And then a guy on the front row picked outside third row just because you were that much closer to the groove. Yeah. Um, well, so, nowadays, I don't feel like the starting line is as equal as it used to be. I mean, it, when yeah. I was first pro, everything was – they made sure they watered the starting line. Everything was equal. And that's something I, I think they need to do a better job of is making sure the damn start line is equal because sometimes yeah. they'll water the top – you know, I'm always telling them, hey, water the start line. Like, make sure it's equal. Like, it's bad if one guy sits there and spins for, you know, there's a gnarly burnout for 10 minutes when the other guy's halfway into the corner. So, yeah, that's kind of an interesting rule. Yeah. I don't see why you can't pick another row. I, don't, I think that's – Yeah. It doesn't that, make any sense. Yeah, that could throw some curveballs at certain places, like I said. If I earned a spot, I want to start in turn four. Yeah. I think you should let me. You should be able to pick wherever you want. Yeah. Right? Um, AFT Super Twins, semis and mains, the following rules apply. Backup I, machines are backup back. Backup machines, basically. You can run a backup machine in the Super Twins class. Um, you can switch in the event of a red flag, any any lap, but you can only do it once. I don't know why you keep switching yeah. bikes, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, this one sucks. Let just me try kidding. No, just no, kidding. never mind. The other one was better. Yeah. Um, so you can switch bikes, but only for Super but, Twins. Yeah, and it doesn't really specify. I have to look maybe a little closer, but it doesn't say that there's any kind of penalty to do so. So you could actually put different gearing on your backup bike. Yeah, one tooth. Where if you're on the fence about it, um, yeah. And then the other thing too is it says restarts will not be delayed to wait for a rider switching to a backup machine. So you better have somebody you better have that thing you better have idle and ready to go an endurance runner that can run that bitch onto yeah. the starting line so that that could be interesting if there's no could be some if there's no penalty involved with it like you uh, could have a cd or what are they going to be called like an r5 on one bike and, and just a, hope for a red and it well yeah through. and then on the r or, or even so you could have two <laughs> or different if compounds. yeah or if there's a there's a red flag with 
Well, and, and that's another rule that changed. It used to be a minimum five laps to go. You know, it could be the it could be the white flag, be five red come out, it's five to go. Now I think it's down to three minutes, or or not three minutes. It's three laps, minimum of three laps. Okay. Um, but if the time, well, yeah, now we're getting into time lapse. Like if the time has expired, there's still two laps to go. Red flag, they could they could just call the race there. It's, but anyway, it's so bad when we're confused. So like what you're saying, well, trying to explain I mean, it to the fans. Yeah. So what you're saying, like. <laughs> So okay, you have your backup bike sitting there with a R5 on it. It's a R8 or R9. What? It's whatever. An R9. R9. This the new one's R9. Let's just change it one number just yeah. to make it confusing. So you know an R5 is not going to make the race. You have your backup bike with an R5 sitting on it. You have Switch you have a restart for the tire with three laps to go. Same gearing. Just Man, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that R5 and yeah. jump on a different bike. So. Some it tactics, could, baby. Yeah, there could be some tactics yeah. in that, with as long as there's no penalty involved, which I have to do some further research. You know what, though? I'm riding production twins, so... Yeah, you're stuck with one I'm bike. I'm stuck so. with one bike. Yeah. Son of a bitch. Yeah. I'm riding the couch at the moment, so yeah. it doesn't matter. Rookie of the Year will only be awarded in the singles class. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I... What? I don't, I don't understand. I don't. Get you know what, that. Jake? Technically, last year in production twins, I was the champion, and the rookie. and rookie of the year. Where's my check? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. They want to be so much like MotoGP. I don't know if there's a Moto Three, Dude. a Moto Two rookie of the year, but there is a rookie of the year in MotoGP. You know what I thought was funny when Tony Elias won the Moto America Championship <laughs> in Superbike. He also won Rookie of the Year in yeah. Superbike. And he had won He's a, a MotoGP, MotoGP champion. He, he was like 40 years yeah, old. Yeah, and he won a MotoGP race previous. So, yeah. I don't know. But just, I don't, like, taking that away, looking at it this year, I mean, who do we got as a rookie in Super Twins? Colby. Colby. I guess that's it. Would, There's only 16 would riders. Would so... be a rookie? No, he rode, he rode AFT Twins before, at least for a year or two. And then what? Uh, then well, last year, Price uh, Dalton. Was, yeah. Dalton. So I mean, Luker. there's Luker. I mean, he's on the wild card list, so that would, you know, I mean, I guess you could still be rookie of the I year. I guess with 16 riders, they just maybe they thought they'd run out of rookies after a year or two. I guess. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. It's it's kind of weird. Yeah. We'll see. Anyway, let's um. So you guys probably have noticed by now because he's not laughing or chiming in. Noah Chambers gave us the old ditch this week. Ditch job. He's helping Grandma put in a washer. Washer. What do you dryer. say it was? Something about knocking holes in the wall. Yeah. I don't know. We need to chime in with Chambers and yeah. Uh, let's, let's get an update on the on the washer dryer job. Let's get an update. Chris Carter, give Noah Chambers a call and let's see what what the hell that was so important that he had to ditch the old uh, tank slapping podcast for. What's up? Don't fucking say hello in that tone of voice to me. <laughs> What the heck are you doing? What are you doing? I got to let my dog in. Hold up. Get in here. Dog? Nah, not my dog. It's my uh, grandma's dog. It's like a little chihuahua. Oh, I, yeah. Oh, actually, no, I'm sorry. I, well, yeah. What? Bounce- what's going on? So what's going on? What's going on with you? Noah Chambers ditching the podcast. We thought we'd call you and uh, get an update. Uh, apparently you're putting in a refrigerator for grandma or something. I don't know. I, I didn't told- see any pictures. No, nah, I told you. It was a um, big washer and dryer operation. I had to, had to install it tonight. 
and I uh, kind of lost track. Of, well, I told her I would, you know, help her out with it, and then I was expecting the Tuesday podcast, but you know. Well, you just sent me, you just sent me a Tinder screenshot, so apparently you're <laughs> you're swiping whatever right or left, and you're not even doing a dry washer dryer. You're too busy on on Tinder. No, I'm always um, I'm always swiping right. You know, it's like a multitask thing. I don't want to miss out on any opportunities. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, speaking of an opportunity, I had your forks in the back of my car for your Daytona ride. So I mean, technically, that's missing an opportunity. We're gonna eBay them. Throw them up on eBay. Yeah. You probably get a lot of money for them. Jake Johnson uh, <laughs> service forks. Come on, I mean, they probably go for big bucks. Dude, all I did was wipe the oil off of them and say I redid them for you. <laughs> wanted to check in with you. The fans love them some Noah Chambers. We wanted to uh, get some insight. A lot of news this week in flat track. What did you think of the whole KTM chain of texture two-year deal um, announcement? I think it's really cool. I'm, I'm pumped to see her get that. That's, uh, that's big, dude. I think that's one of the uh, coolest rides in flat track i you know because it was always like in motocross and supercross that's like a very prestigious i mean rebel ktm is like if you're on rebel ktm you're badass you've made it so to see them come to flat track last year was really cool and then i i know there was nothing set in stone if they were going to be in flat track again this year but i'm glad to see that they are and not only this year but next year as well so that's really cool what can we do to get Shayna faster on the tts i mean you're a pro moto guy we're kind of helping you learn how to turn left a little bit better. What what can we do to get Shane up to speed on the TTs? Need to get her to the farm. Get her out to the farm. Yeah. Um. I mean, yeah. Like Jake said, dude, she uh, she's been to the farm, I think. Yeah. Two times, twice, I think. So, um, honestly, dude, I think I I I think for TTs, like motocross, probably helps you. I don't know. Just she needs to just ride some more moto. I would. I, I guess. I don't know. It's. It's so much different, I, though, you know, like if you never, if she never really motored much growing up, like, like me, like, you know, like getting on a flat track bike, I tried to, I was explaining to someone at work today, like nothing transfers over, like literally nothing. The only so, thing that's the same is like using the clutch. Selling, selling some so, dudes some Miller High Life, telling them about how, what it's like to ride a flat track bike or what? Uh, you, you know, yeah, dude, you call my hat a, a flat track. My name's Noah. I'm, yeah. I'm a pro. I got my BB4. You had on yeah flat track yeah i ride flat track exactly what it was i had the bb14 hat on and he's like oh dude like what do you race like dirt like like race like he was thinking like go-karts or something i'm like nah dude like is that a tony stewart hat I'm like motor is that tony tony stewart right there i said nah man i said this is my buddy you know he's he's all right but yeah no i don't know dude it's uh I, I guess just ride more more motocross, really. It's so, yeah. it's so much different, you know what I mean? It's, like get on it's not something that you can just get on and naturally like be good at. Yeah. Well, we had Chris Carr on the show this week. You would know that if you were here, but you missed out. But anyway, do you know anything about Chris Carr? I mean, what do you, what do you think of Chris Carr? Uh, I know he's a legend. Uh, Seven-time Grand National Champion. Oh, uh, I think it's what seventy plus wins, something like that. So I mean, it's pretty badass. The dude, obviously, he's legit. He's like a, uh, I mean, you know, he's he's a legend. I mean, that's that's probably an understatement, but um, 
pretty badass, you know what I mean? How how many the times sports, one of the sports greatest? How many times has Chris Carr won Peoria? Oh, I'm gonna take a wild guess here. I'm gonna say nine. No, I don't even know. More fourteen. No? More? Eleven? I, I could be wrong, but I think it's thirteen. I was gonna right? say fourteen. Carter thinks sixteen. 13, lucky number thirteen. How many times is Noah Chambers gonna win Peoria? Or is thirteen straight? I'm I don't sure. know what it is. I don't know. Henry fucked it all up. Whatever it was. <laughs> How many times am I gonna win? Peoria. I guess we'll have to find out, huh? I guess we'll have to find out. To be continued. How long has that been like on the schedule forever? It has to have been, right? Pretty yeah. much since uh, I think Ben Franklin rode that track, dude, back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> the founding fathers battled it out. Yeah. <laughs> what hey. T- what TT you think you're most looking forward to this year? Uh, if if we can do them all, which you got Daytona, you got Buffalo Ship, and you got Peoria, watching film and footage, which as a pro motocrosser, what what TT you think best suits your style? Buffalo, dude, the chip looks raw. That looks sick. So I'm I'm pretty pumped up to, uh, if I can make it out there, I'd, I'd really like to. Because what is there, only three TTs this year? I think there's three. Yeah, Trace. Three? Yeah. So, I mean, if I can make it to all three, um, that'd be really cool. I mean, that, ideally, I think that's what's best for me, you know, get more seat time. And, uh, like, and, and if I'm looking forward to any of them, as far as suiting my style, I would have to say probably Buffalo Chip. For the for the track or the party and concert afterwards, dude. Honestly, probably both. I mean, or, they or, or com- just the just the atmosphere, the whole combo. I think Godsmack yeah, played dude, last like, year after the race is over. You like Godsmack? Yeah, that's yeah, that's a Chambers big may not so. win the race, but he's winning the after party. Absolutely, I agree on that. <laughs> tons of trucker, tons of trucker <laughs> ladies. Well, oh, there's plenty of trucker ladies there for you. Dude, I was I was talking to someone about that this week, um, about Sturgis, and they were like, "Man, like you don't even know like what you're getting yourself into." And I'm like, "What do you mean?" They're like, "Sturgis <laughs> is just like insane," and I believe it because I've you know I've heard about it like forever, but I I believe it's it's tons wild of, out there. Tons of screaming. Egos. I mean, I don't know. You guys have been waiting there, right for years. Yeah, dude, we love Sturgis. Sturgis is awesome. Yeah. Hey, real quick before we wrap it up. What do you think of the Ferrandis Craig incident? Okay, so real, real quick, quick, bro. <laughs> was it so, dirt? Well, it's kind of. It... Oh, hold up. Well, first, let let me let me. What are you? What are your? Do you guys think it was dirty or clean? Just let me. Why are you asking not, us? Obviously, it's not clean. Yeah, I don't want to sway your decision. I'll tell you. Be I'll your tell own you person. After, I'll you're tell not, you. Oh, you're not gonna. You're not gonna. You're not gonna move my decision, but. So I'll just tell you. So to, for me, I don't think it it wasn't clean, but it wasn't anything that was like over the top. You know what I mean? A lot of people were bent about it, but like, dude, yeah. it happens. It's it's super cross. Like that, like that kind of stuff happens. Like so. So your answer we posted, is it, uh, it wasn't dirty. It wasn't clean, and it happens. And you're you love French people. It had to have been done. I mean, put yourself put yourself in Ferrandez's situation. He, he's literally a defending champion. I don't know, you know, contract-wise how much money you're talking, but that he position to first, like, corner. that's huge. You could have yeah. passed him the next corner. Uh, you could have passed him the next corner, probably. Uh, dude, it's put yourself in his situation. Uh, you All know right. what I mean? I'm going to put myself Great. in his situation, and, and, right? If, if you're going to clean somebody uh, out, 
if you're going to clean somebody out, don't fall. And you crash, it wasn't meant to be. Failed. Right? I, I've seen guys get hit. Well, I've, hey, I've seen guys get hit a lot harder. So it was bad. bad it was good timing or bad timing, whatever it was. The way that fell. corner was, yep. like Craig's wheels were light when he hit him and it just sent him into orbit. So it was just a bad time. But he crashed too. So obviously he was out of control. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't think he necessarily <laughs> meant to hit him. I know, like, everyone's <laughs> saying BS. I don't think he meant to hit him as hard as he did, honestly. I don't think he meant to, like, not no, going into I, it like, I'm going to crash as well. No, you know what I mean? Like, that's not, the, that's not the plan. No, he didn't mean to clean him straight out right in front of the mechanics area. I'm sure I, – no, I'm, I'm sure of that. But it was just it was just bad timing, bad decision. No. I, no, come on. I get it. Come on. Now, obviously, he meant to take him out, but I don't think he meant to – um. Hit him that know, dude. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't mean to crash. All right. More serious yeah. question before correct, we let you go. Who would you, who would you rather drink who would you rather go out drinking with? Christian Craig or Dylan Fernandez? <laughs> Dylan Fernandez, no doubt. Cool. Dude, I'm a big I'm a big Dylan Fernandez fan. Like even before this, I've always rooted for that guy. I remember high point last year, I was there for the national and he was up on the box. It might have been two years ago. Someone like one of the fans, you know, like since he's French. They, like, threw a beer can at the guy, a full beer, and it, like, hit him, and he grabbed it and, like, shotgunned it right on the podium. And I'm like, this guy's an animal, dude. Like, I like him. I think he's cool. He was out drinking two weeks before Anaheim, just sending it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And one more thing. One more thing about that. He, you know, back to Christian Craig, obviously, he got cleaned out. Christian Craig, I don't know if you guys saw the video, but, like, did you see, do you remember when he cleaned out Alex Martin? Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, like, he's we've all done. Like, it. So it's like done. you know, you gotta, you got, you dish it out, you take it. You know what I mean? Like if you, you can't dish it out, oh, you're a little bitch. You can't take it, don't dish it out. You ain't, you yeah. ain't dishing nothing out. Who's on, who's, who's on your radar for Daytona TT? Who are you taking out? Well, honestly, I don't really know enough people, but I'm not gonna like. I'm trying to think, dude. If it's are you just gonna clean? Just, I don't want to clean anybody. Just some poor sixteen-year-old kid out first practice session just to make a statement. Shane and Texter. I mean, if I if that's the way, if I gotta do it, I gotta do it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm gonna be there taking names, baby. All right, man. Well, we appreciate you taking time out. You're so so, so busy. busy, so busy, man. We appreciate the time. Thank tell, you. Tell Grandma we said hi. Send me the invoice for uh, your time. We appreciate it, man. I, just, I don't know how you're such a busy guy. Tell grandma we said what up. Um, give her uh, give her a hug for us, and uh, we'll we'll chat with you soon. Yeah, um, thanks for having me on again. I'm sorry I can't be you know in the studio right now, but uh, next week we'll fire it up. All righty, there you go. Chambers chimes in, everybody. See you, Noah. Bye bye. Uh, see you guys. Oh. Episode six in the books. In the books. We gotta hey, we gotta thank our our show sponsor for sure. Our show sponsor, 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 first sponsor of the show. We appreciate it. Mike Hacker, Presidential Mortgage, Home Loan Refinance, Home Equity Line of Credit. Contact Mike, Mike Hacker at Presidential He's also on Facebook. You know, it's easy to yeah. easy to find Mike Hacker and. If you're looking to buy a home, you need some input, some help, assistance, 
give Mike a call. Like Jake said, he works hard and he's a, a flat track guy, so he's got your bag. And uh, we appreciate Mike uh, supporting our show. Yeah, he's also got some bunch of junk flat track parts in his garage too. If you need some of those, go give him a call. Every, every like all of us got <laughs> some some sort of. I was showing Jake all the junk I got in my uh, all my in my basement. I'm trying to get rid of all my junk. Uh, we're trying to fit an exhaust pipe up in my framer to uh, get ready for the Florida trip I'm going on, but we couldn't make it happen. So. Yeah, I thought you were just mechanically <laughs> declined. Oh, I definitely am. He FaceTimed me. He FaceTimed me. I'm sitting. I'm sitting at like 10:30 at night, just hanging out on the couch, and all of a sudden, here comes FaceTime. Corey trying to put his pipe on his on his. Uh, I was pretty drunk. Oh, yeah, bro, help me. And I'm like, this guy's a moron. Oh, definitely. But, no, I, I was out in the shop a little bit ago. The pipe doesn't fit. Does not fit. It doesn't fit. So we're running exhaustless. Any good stainless welders out there? Give, give us a call. Give us a call. That wraps us up. We got a good good guest next week. We'll give you guys a sneak peek here in a few days, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Peace. Peace. <laughs>